Welcome one, welcome all to a very special episode of the BTT Podcast with this year's Team Canada roster. They're all gathered together at Team Canada training camp this week, and they have graciously come to be guests on the podcast. I'm pleased to introduce our guests for this week. Firstly, Tanush Agarwal. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Tanush. I've been debating for about uh, a little over two years. How knee? Hi everyone, I'm Hao, and I have been debating competitive out to tournaments for about three years. Maria Shu. Hi, I'm Maria. I've been debating for like five years almost. Rally Lin. Uh, hi, I'm Rally. I've also been debating for around five years. Summit Kawakami. Hi, I'm Summit. I've been debating for about four years. And Barry Gu. Hey, I'm Barry. I've been debating for around four years. Cool, wonderful stuff. So that is who we've got today. Thank you very much for coming along. So first things first, I want to ask you guys, how's training camp been so far? Very few people actually know what actually happens. I don't really know what happens. So what do you guys actually do at training camp? Um, honestly, training camp is literally just like any debate camp that you may have had. It's a lot of rounds. They bring in a lot of great guest debaters. So right now we're at Heart House UFT. There's a lot of really cool UFT debaters. RP, Serena, um, even Mateus here, which is super cool. Um, I mean, the main purpose of training camp, other than obviously practicing debate and the coaches getting to know what your problems are so they can fix them later down the line, is just getting to work with everybody on the team. So they prioritize speaking in different positions, speaking with everybody on the team. Obviously, not everyone knows each other before they get on the team, so it's pretty important in terms of that and in terms of like the social aspect of getting to be friends with everyone, which was always very nice. Yeah, like I think training camps been very fun. Like personally, we've just been like you know talking to everybody, socializing with everyone. Like particularly, like a lot of the BC kids that I never ever like known before. Like I literally like the most to try to socialize with them. It's been pretty awesome and they're all obviously really nice people like everybody's really nice like we're all like hanging out all the time we went to the jays game just now um which the jays won hey. so, uh, also like just a little bit about the structure of training camp i guess for those who are interested like it starts usually about nine and we kind of like walk our way there and then it ends at like round five like est time and then after five we like go for a team dinner or like eat, we eat by ourselves and then we have like a social activity so today we had like blue jays game and then in the future we're going to going to do like a team dinner and then we're also might be going to like cne and whatnot so it's really really cool um you get to know a lot of people um that you've never probably talked to before beyond just debate um and it's just really good of a team building like type of event where you get to know people beyond just the debate circuit and you get to know like all of their pet peeves or even just truly understand them as human beings so that's pretty cool yeah yeah it sounds like training camp sounds like it's really fun sounds like sounds like uh you really get to meet everyone else know everyone else moving on to the next thing is i want to go around in a circle and i want to hear because i know almost nothing about how any of you guys started debating so how did you guys start debating and why did you keep debating my parents made me start uh when i was pretty young like in grade six or seven, but I only went as sort of like a public speaking class. So they wanted me to have you know, better presentation skills. They heard about it on WeChat from other Asian parents. So it sort of started as a, like, like a uh, develop your child to have better skills. Maybe they can get better grades as well. Um, and then I think the first time I really enjoyed it was probably in ninth grade. 
there were just some tournaments that were really fun. Uh, some speeches after I gave them, I felt just very fulfilled, and I thought, well, this is something I actually would like to continue to do. So in grade ten, I tried to make the team, and we're here. Rally, how about you? Uh, so I kind of started in a similar way. I think my parents made me go to it. Uh huh. Maybe a lot of the same. Uh, yeah, at some point in time. <laughs> And then I guess, uh, I don't know, I didn't really particularly like it for the first little while. But then uh, I would always just kind of, when tournaments were available, just kind of go to them, go to as many as possible. And then you know, eventually once you do it enough, you kind of get more familiar with the activity. And then it's more enjoyable, I think. So you're saying debate sucked you in? Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Very nice. All right, uh, how? how about you? Yeah, um, so originally I started debating as well. Like I was introduced to debate through my parents and like Olympiads. Um, oh God, but then you too. I don't really take that portion of debating as seriously. So I, I, I didn't like officially start debating until like my very first tournament where I generally just really liked the concept of debating people. And even, even just like the fact that at tournaments, the stakes are a lot higher and there's just much more adrenaline that's involved. So it's, that's probably what drawn me in into debating. Sounds like we have three of the same story. All right, who has a different story? Let's go with Barry. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me your parents. Okay, go for oh, it. No. <laughs> wow. Barry, just just spit it out. Fortunately, <laughs> my story is more or less the same. It's not much to tell. <laughs> same story. <laughs> the same thing. Okay. Well, my parents put me in a debate class when I was in like, seventh grade outside of my school so after it was basically natural to you know join the school debate club because i already have experience in the activity so you know from there um basically the same path like i got to more tournaments um i went to an institution uh and from there it got me to where i am now oh same thing there's no shot i'll try to keep it original <laughs> Bro, okay. Um, and then I didn't really enjoy debate until like probably grade ten, because then that's when I realized like it's a great point for socialization. You can go on a very mini escapades and like do a bunch of fun things together and like travel the world. So yeah, so I have good news, which is that it's different. Oh, um, thank God. It's like I don't know, like it's weird. I really started doing debate properly, like two years ago when I moved to Canada, but I did do some debate in Hong Kong, though the story for that isn't one that I think I associate with my debate career, because like, my parents actually don't know anything about debate, they tell me to debate less, because it takes away from time from like studying and stuff, um, and so like a lot of the debate that I've done has been like self-driven, I guess, and like, but the way I joined debate was like, a math teacher was also the like, debate head, like she was the head of the debate board of Hong Kong or whatever, like, like, she was an extremely important person. She selected, like, numerous Hong Kong teams in the past. And she's also just very well-known in the circuits. So my school also, like, hosted a lot of tournaments. Um, even though, like, my school wasn't super known within debate, except we had, like, an Oxford Cup winner in 2018 or something. Um, um, so my school hosted a lot of tournaments. Coming back from a math competition, and she's like, I, like, someone dropped out. So, was, like, I need someone to fill in. So she's like, Tinder, do you want to do it? And I'm like, sure. Three-minute speeches. I gave one-minute speeches. And then I sort of just, like, didn't touch debate again. 
at that competition itself, I ended up going against Jenna Hong and Madeline Wu. So, like, you know, sort of soured me off of the sport. <laughs> um, and then, but then after I moved to Canada, I sort of was like, mm, this is actually something that I'm interested in. Um, went to Olympiads for like three months and then sort of just taught myself. And then yeah, that's how I got into the grade. All right. Thank God we have one original story other than my parents made me debate and I liked it after two years. All righty. Very nice. So, uh, but it sounds like you all have come to like debate. So I wanted to ask if anyone has stories on what your favorite speech you've given so far is. Sure, I can start, although I think it is a little sad I'm speaking first for all these questions. <laughs> Probably one of the, I, I want to say the best speeches I've ever given, but I guess it also counts as my favorite. The first round of alternate tryouts last year was, the motion was, sorry, Raleigh, the motion was, this house prefers a world where I think villains were predominantly cast as women. And I had actually done this motion, or I think the exact same wording, two months before at Heart House Women and Gender Minorities Finals. I did lose that round to a wonderful CEO, Stellar and Crystal, who I love very dearly. But uh, their case was very good. And I happened to be the third opposition speaker in this round. And I gave a, a pretty good speech, although I hadn't done a third for maybe two months before that. Uh, and I was pretty happy about myself because the speech was in front of Jason Xiao, who was coach at the time, and I was feeling quite nervous. But I think that sort of set the tone for the rest of trials, where I felt far more confident. So it was probably that first round that got me to where I am today, because otherwise I think my mental would have been crushed. Yeah, that's a super cool story. All right, anyone else got any? Um, Rally? I can answer Rally's. There's one speech of Rally that I like. You go for Rally. All right, go for it. Go for it. Like, okay, Harvard WSDC quarterfinals. We're against Howe in this round, by the way. Um, like, who's we? I'm losing the debate. And then Rylan comes up and gives the most masterful third speech I have ever listened to. Like, it was so, so good that afterwards, Max Rosen gave feedback and he's like, keep up the good work. Yeah. Which is like such a not him thing to say. That is high praise right there for anyone who knows Max Rosen. That is very, very high praise. I did like tip the debate from losing to like a very like relatively clear yeah. win for us. Yeah. I remember that round. I remember that round quite clearly. I think the judge was Matt Ansruth. Matt Ansruth and Harish. Harish. Um, and yeah, the, like in rally speech, they were nodding so many times yeah, like Matt, and I mean, everyone else's speech, they look so annoyed and disappointed. <laughs> like apparently Harish like, um, said we, we had a like good case, but rallies was just too good. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that was a really good speech. Rally, what do you say your best speeches? Uh, I think it was just against like some like a Croatia or something like that and it was like this house would end private education and we were prop I gave a third on that I thought it was not bad like it was one of the less messy thirds that I've given when Raleigh says in less messy <laughs> thirds this is the guy who like absolutely utterly like says that we've lost every single place that we've ever debated <laughs> And like every time he finishes speaking, he comes back and he says, I did so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so when he says not messy, like we're, we're talking well beyond. That's high praise for Rally if he says that was not messy. Yeah. 
Do I have a favorite first speech? Like, otherwise, you don't have to force it. Otherwise, I'll just move on. I don't know. Like, final CWSCC. I like that speech a lot because that was a round that we were like losing to the point where after the round, like, one of our teammates was beyond, like, actually legitimately saddened because we had thought we had lost. And <laughs> Rally kept gaslighting them into thinking we had lost. Like, Rally kept going, we've lost. There's no way we can win. It's such a decisive win for China. There's no way we can win. Like, like it is so, it was like the group chat was so demoralizing. <laughs> and then we won. And, I, like... And I was the only person throughout the group chat. I was like, guys, I think we won. I was proud of my speech. Please listen to me. And then we ended up winning. And that was probably the, the just, maybe the speech wasn't the best, but that feeling was really good. And that's why. <laughs> the feeling of being right. Yeah, there we go. Get, get this really get out of here with his negativity. <laughs> okay, cool. So you guys all, to my knowledge, do a lot of BP as well. Um, this is a thing that a lot of newer debaters often have trouble with. Um, I want to hear about what are the most disgusting closing spots you've ever been in, and did you get out of it? If so, how? I think Rally and Maria have a joint story to tell here, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, you want to no, like in Waterloo, your yeah. extension that round was like, I don't know. That's why he showed me on his. But I mean, both times. Waterloo uh, CG, you guys yeah, were CG. You won the, the tournament. Oh, I got one. I got one. Oh, Barry has one. Barry. I think this was. Um, Western, I don't remember exactly which. Um, I was at a summit actually, and we were CG, and OG happened to be Jin and Claire. Uh, and, and I DM Jin before the round, right? I'm like, don't, don't, don't turn us, that'd be bad. And bro, bro tells me, okay, 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 don't worry about it, I won't turn for him. And so he stands up to speak, and he gives three arguments, right? And I'm like, Okay, okay, bro, okay, okay. And then Clara goes up to speak and starts her speech with, I have two new arguments to present. <laughs> and so, we're sitting over here scratching our asses because our ideas have just been said in the PM. And so, I stand up, basically say what Jin said again, in a way that did not sound as compelling, and... We lost. <laughs> also, feminism motion, which has given me countless traumas. <laughs> uh, Rally and Maria. Uh, so there's this motion. Uh, it, it's kind of complicated. It's like um, it's the like a thought last motion. Yeah. Like, so basically, if you know it, you know it. It's like a kid. Like, what, like, transport the city? It's based on the short story, uh, The Ones Who Walk Away from Amalas, which is basically just about um, a city that is utopic or utopian in every sense, except for the fact that they have, like, a small boy trapped underground in dismal conditions, and that's the only reason why all the citizens are happy and living in such a perfect, like, crime-free, disease-free world. Uh, And the motion is basically that you are a person who has like turned 18 and in a rite of passage you are taken down to see this child and every single person is given the decision to either remain in that city with the knowledge or to uh walk away from all of us hence the story name and so the motion is just this house would walk away from amalas we were cg uh og ran like all the material that we did think of and 
we thought of i think we were OG. probably the the, the wackest stuff oh i've ever thought of in my life and i think the only reason we won that finals was because no one else thought we would yeah, ever opposition just didn't respond that was so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was that and then afterwards uh again you with know it's another yeah with tanush at western semi-finals you know, Same motion. Closing opposition this time. Opening opposition ran all the time. <laughs> and opening government ran our extension from the first time. No that. way. She really bad. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so uh, Bradley just had the responses. <laughs> yeah, so then we ran another like really whack case that was in my opinion derivative. What was it? Did you make it through? It was just opening opposition <laughs> contradictory but we gave thoughts oh yeah we totally like, we fully knifed oh, oh. contradictory yeah. yeah and then we ended up going through <laughs> and then, and then the one. top of rally's speech was two minutes of reasoning as to why we're not knifing oh oh, <laughs> oh bro i'm pretty sure nowadays you can like openly knife oh, oh and, it's, and it's okay like most judges don't consider knifing like an auto four or like even that bad the thing is um if you're directly knifing them you're just considering what they're saying to be true to a certain extent. So if there are like two contradictory um, framings or premises to your cases, you the judge generally just assumes that both are true to some extent and then weigh, weigh the cases as following. So I genuinely don't think, or at least if you get me as a judge, you don't need to explain why you're not knifing. You can just say like, we think, oh, his framing's bad. Here's better framing. Yeah, like I think for us, it was literally like, Oh, it didn't prove like why they're like whatever they did was likely to be true. We were we thought the opposite thing would happen, and so we just ran like a case that. Oh no, we uh we did uh we abused like fiat in closing opposition to give a counter model that was different for opening opposition. <laughs> <laughs> so like they said you would do something, and then we said you would do something totally different, and, and we gave reasons as to why you're more likely to do that. Yeah, no, that seems like a good strategy. I'm pretty sure that's. But I'm pretty sure that's viable, and also like just a good strategy in general. Yeah. Okay, I'll add something really quickly here as well. I think just generally speaking, if you're on closing and your front half like took all of your material, I think it's more strategic for you to at least try and get an impact, even if it's a very small impact. It's just generally good to have a separate argument that's different, just because analysis extensions are quite difficult to run, but also it's quite hard to advance to the next stage. For example, if you're in elimination rounds, just based on the fact that you have more like analysis in your reputation, um, often because that reputation probably isn't crucial for the round or crucial for you to like be out another team in order to advance so i think generally speaking at least having an impact that they can credit you with then allows them to credit you more with the reputation that you gave um as well so just having an impact even if it's very sketchy is probably good mm. yeah it really depends on the context of the rounds um like if you're opening misses material that could be like the necessary framing for their case or even like didn't deal with the opposition case that could have completely destroyed their own case um, analysis extensions, I think, are actually quite effective as long as you explain the link as to why that puts you over your opening. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, and the last thing I have planned for the intro segment is I want each person, or I'm going to point to a person, and I want you guys to tell me not like I want you guys to tell me what that person excels at in debate. So I'm going to point to like Maria, for example, and I want everyone else to tell me what is Maria good at. All right, Maria first. I think style. Style. She's so good at style. Like, her bass style is so easy to listen to. Like, I can just listen to her and fall asleep, like, in a good way, you know? She's the, She has the sweetest voice. Like, it makes you want to vote for her, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, but, like, real Maria's blessing is prep. 
Oh my oh, yeah, god. Yeah. What a saint to partner with <laughs> Maria Shu. Like you can just sit there, be dumb as bolts, not even have read the motion, and Maria will feed you a case that you'll have such great confidence in. Like it's actually insane how big Maria's brain is. Yeah. She's yeah. really good. Yeah, at like that. if if she ever gives you the privilege of partnering with her, like <laughs> like take it, bro. Like trust me. Yeah. Oh, that's really cute. All right, next. How about Rally? just <laughs> big brain bro he's just really good at clarity as well as making sure that like the smart analysis he has like is structured in a way that not only makes sense but also like is really good at defeating the other team and flipping material and making you believe that they won like even if you just like look at his speech alone he's just really good at that clarity as well yeah and also making your team believe that they lost right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh... Skill with multiple uses. Um, <laughs> very. <clears throat> Why do you like Rally? I've never been on a teenager. <laughs> You've debated him. Jeez. Yeah, debating him doesn't mean. Barry? Like, no, like Barry. Ba- like, before no, before I. Rally's style is very beautiful. Before yeah. I partnered with Barry and Rally, Barry messages me. I listened to Rally's speech and it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> let me find it like he, he messaged me like he's the only person that's ever made me have goosebumps oh, oh, oh. uh next yeah uh, Rowley has some of the best replies i've probably ever seen he tracks very well and he thinks of responses very quickly and he's very good at disguising said responses, which is really important for replies if there's any uh, aspiring WSBC speakers uh, out there. So I, I think he probably gives some of the strongest strategic replies I've ever given, I've, I've ever seen. Uh, uh, probably turned the tide of more than a few debates in his favor. I'm pretty sure Raleigh's been doing that for four years. I don't know if Raleigh remembers this or not, but I remember in one Olympiads class. <laughs> Where he was the gu- or he was like the opposition whip, and then he begins his speech with "I have six responses to the other side's extension," and then lists out all six extensions or six responses for the next four minutes of his speech, and the feedback for his speech was, "Rally, you do not need six responses in your whip." Yeah, it's uh, you know, we're trying to break the habit of too many responses. He just thinks about too much good content. <laughs> I got too much to say. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next person. Let's go with uh, Summit. Okay, Barry, you have to talk about Summit. Uh, I guess when I first started doing debate inside of the Alberta circuit, someone goes to my school, right? And he was winning, like, everything. Like, first in teams, first in speeches. And so... <clears throat> I guess what I like about Summit is that he gave me reason to have competition. Um, and that was some great motivation to originally start the debate. So, yeah. Do you think he does anything well at debate other than winning? Oh, um. <laughs> um Summit's really, really good at He's good at me- being mean to other debaters. In a good way, in a good way, in a good way. Like, how is that a good thing? Wait, I agree. He'll do it in a way that's like, it'll it's demotivate you. And it'll make yeah. you think that you're saying something. Like, he just actually make you want like, to kill yourself. Wait, I guess it Guys, I can't put that on air. What the fuck? Sorry. Say that again, say it again. Some speeches do what? What do they do? You want to, like, 
It's not debate anymore. <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, I actually think like uh, he's really good at not letting you get away with a lot. Like assertive analysis, like really dumb characterizations that don't make sense in the real world. So like his style and then also the way like he kind of looks at reputation and uh, engagement is very effective at kind of dealing with lots of the fluff that people use to disguise their bad arguments in debate. That is a very good skill. There are a lot of bad arguments in debate. Alright, anyone yes. got anything else? I've only seen Summit speak once, so I can't really say much. It was a good round. <laughs> uh, he had lots of great responses, good illustrations, uh, good POI that he asked. So, good speaker. I think Summit's so good in prep time. He's really good at finding illustrations for you. Like, it might not be like historical illustrations, but he's really good at coming up with illustrations that sound plausible in the real world. But also, secondly, he's just so sweet in debate rounds and even after debate rounds. Like today, yeah. I gave a terrible reply in the first round. He wrote it me was like, a good reply. Like, it was you a did good such reply. a really good, a reply. good reply. You covered <laughs> everything. I'm so, so happy. But yeah. It was a genuinely good. Okay, okay. Here's the thing about like the Ontario debate kids. Is that they are they are self-deprecating, right? <laughs> so they will like sit down after a round and be like, guys, we lost, like it's over. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the ballot will be like 5-0. Like unanimous decision. Okay? Like, so you got you gotta take every single thing that they say with like a grain of salt. Like a really bad reply. No, it was a good reply. That's why I said it was a good reply. Yeah, he's just really sweet in general. Yeah. Alright, let's then go on to Tanoosh. Honestly, what I will say about Tanush is one skill that he has that I envy so much is that he is just able to think of content and mechanization for any random claim or even assertive claim that you give him nearly on the spot. And this also is really interesting because Tanush is one of those rare debaters that can give a speech on no notes. So if you've ever seen Tanush give a speech, he will not look down at his paper at all, even if he has things written down, which he doesn't always have things written down. It's just a crazy skill to have. Also, because Tanush is a very clear speaker. So in terms of style, Tanush gives very good illustrative arguments that are very clear to follow logic. And then you're like, wow, this person must have so many notes down. He must have written down all five of his mechanisms. And then you ask him and he says, no, I made that up on the spot thinking about what reasons our claim must have to actually support it. So it's a crazy skill to have as a debater to be able to think of on the spot and also think of strong reasons why your claim is still true or even responses and reputation. So it's a great speaker. Yeah. Also, like, Tanush is really, really persuasive when he speaks. Like, although he, like, literally takes no notes, he's very clear in what he wants to get across. Like, there's no fluff in what he says. Like, he literally does not look at his notes once. Like, he plays with his paper when he's up, like, speaking. It's just there as a prof. And he just gets things off, like, gets things, like, off to the judge in a very clear way. But he also knows what to prioritize and what the strategy is and how to structure his speech without having to look at his notes, like, once throughout his entire eight-minute speech. Just really, really good of a skill, yeah. Do you have anything complimentary to say about Tanush, who you also uh, used to partner with? It's a hard one, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tanush is really good at bailing me out when I have no ideas, because, like, I think Maria talked about some of it, but, like, he's so good at just thinking of something on the spot or in the last 30 minutes before his speech, and 
it's hard to track, but it saves me when I have nothing else. So, yeah, very good. One thing, Tanoosh, how the heck do you debate without notes? Like, okay, like, it's because, like, no one taught me how to write notes. So I just sort of would, like, okay, basically, okay. When I saw someone debate, I saw that they had, like, the sickest notes of all time. Like, debater notes are, like, a foreign language. You know what I mean? As in, like, they're so, they're just, like, the perfect chaos that represents the debater. Like, Randy takes his notes with Sharpie over, like, ten pages. And they're, like, big, big notes. Like, uh, God, I don't know if anyone else takes notes. Like, how separates the page down the middle from what I was looking at. Sorry, how I was looking at your notes. Um... You know, so, like, people write their notes differently. So I just didn't know how to write notes. I was like, what if I just don't write notes? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I was like, one time I was in a prep, and this is a genuine conversation I had in my mind, where I was like, I could take notes right now, or I could not take notes. What would take less effort? And I was like, not taking notes. And so I just built a really bad habit of not being able to look down when I talk. So, like, today I took a bunch of notes in one of the rounds, and then I was just making, like, a Mickey Mouse shape with them while talking. Because I was like, I needed something to do with my head. Like, <laughs> they, they actually, like, hurt me more than they helped. Like, Are you a first speaker or, like, a second or, like, a what? Like, a third and... I primarily do seconds, but I'm flexible. Okay. I think you can hold enough stuff in your head for seconds. But even for eight minutes, it, I imagine it's pretty long. This is, like, aside from, like, the speech itself. But I think Tanish is just generally, like, a very, very funny person. I haven't gotten the chance to, like, prep with him yet. But I feel like in, like, really stressful debates, I feel like he'd just be there to be able to, like, lighten the mood and make people less stressed. And I think that's a really big component of being able to stay on top of the ball and not, like, let yourself just be stressed over, like, the wording of emotion for, like, 20 minutes on end. But, yeah, super funny, funny guy. Super Maria's funny guy. Maria's writing is so funny that she's crying. <laughs> <laughs> He sings Chinese music. Uh, alrighty. Sounds like Tanush is a very interesting speaker. Okay, let's go last, or not lastly, uh, on to how. So, like, with how, like, okay, uh, there's like a couple of things. In fact, my very first ever debate in Canada, how was in my class, though she doesn't remember. My very first ever debate in Canada, how was in my first round, and she doesn't remember you. <laughs> Miguel in 2020, I think Serena was judging us. No and, idea. Um, I, I was OG, you were O. I remember. <laughs> um, and the reason I remember is because how is so good. Uh, I, I, like, in terms of, like, dealing with the stuff that you say. So, like, okay, so today, right, we're, we're debating, and how's on the other team, and, like, yeah, like, it was so smart. Like, it, it's just, it just gives off, like, smartness, you know what I mean? And it's, like, the, like it's, it's handling the stuff that, like, latter speakers are often, like, better at in terms of, like, refuting to your arguments in, like, a very, like, rigid manner. Or, like, a rigid manner that is, like, extremely easy to follow in terms of, like, its structure. It's always, like, that, you know, like, consistent consistence and structure, which I think many people, in, including myself, like, is probably, like, the thing that I start to struggle with the most was, like, being consistent throughout my speeches. Um, and I think how, like, every time has been, like, more than a formidable opponent, like, never a bad speech, um, mm. always devastating to go against, especially when they're across the bench. It's so sweet. 
so sweet. How speaks with this like great matter of fact, like calm, yeah. analytical style, which just really works for her responsive work, or even when she's giving arguments. And I also particularly remember how is devastatingly good at principles, and also very good at principled refutation, which is something that I have uh, encountered and lost to uh, on numerous occasions. So she's very, very good. Oh, I also. One more thing, I think what I admire most about her debating is probably, like, tracking. Like, she doesn't drop arguments at all, and she always, like, definitely, like, calls you out on things that you didn't think were that significant or you tried to gloss over. But then she always picks up on it and kind of doesn't let you get away with it, which is really good. This is gonna make me cry. It's actually so wholesome. You guys, have you guys debated how much? Oh, they just don't like me. <laughs> They're like, stop it, she destroyed us today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In round two. Huh? No, like, okay, you know the, the speech that where Rally gave, like, his best speech ever? Or, like, what, in my opinion, like, out of all the times I've partnered with him, like, the most memorable speech? How was the speaker that spoke right before that? And the reason I say I think we were losing at that point was not because I, I thought my speech in that round was fine. I think we after my speech, like at least from my round perception, it was close and slightly edging towards us. But it was after House speech that there was like very little confidence left in me. So yes, merit to rally for unfortunately for how giving like his bestest ever speech, but also like big merits to how for what was initially a close debate, flipping it to their side. Um, and I, I, I remember that very clearly because I remember like we were all extremely anxious at that point. Um, yeah, I including rally who thought we lost. <laughs> and now last but not least is Barry. Oh my, Barry is literally well, Summit, Summit has to talk about Barry. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, so Barry's like my partner for all the municipal school related stuff, i.e. like BP Nats, BP Pros. And I've got to say the best um, like debate quality about, quality about Barry is that he has this like mode and our coach calls it like M&M mode. Because he, he basically thinks he's rap god and then spew, like spits fire for like like a thousand words a minute for five minutes straight. And he'll go up and then he'll just like say clever things that sound, that are very smart and are very, very true. And then what he'll do is that, like I remember in most of our RFPs, our judge was like, you gotta slow down. But like, there, I found there were like 87 reasons for a certain claim to be true, whether, like to be true. So then, I don't know, Barry's just really good at like saying a whole lot, most of it being true, most of it being devastating argumentation. And then that means like, other teams are left in the dust because they can't like write notes that fast. Barry is also just so threatening in like IR rounds. Either he's like, he just has a lot of spec, I feel like. To me, he's really threatening. But like, he has so much, like the way that he speaks in IR rounds, especially, it gives me like Ryan Lafferty vibes. Like even if he has no spec, like it really sounds true. Like just the way that he conveys it, as well as like the way that he like enunciates his words and like structures his like sentences and whatnot. It's just that like natural, like I want to believe you type of style, you know? So yeah, Barry, like, do you have IR spec? Uh, not really. <laughs> I think maybe I lie about it very effectively. Yeah. But my coach has taught me that. Yeah. yeah, like okay, being like the OG Harold, you know, like Harold and Kumar or whatever. Like Barry has actually been like the crutch of dependence. You know what I mean? As in like, okay, like yes, I think on the spot, but that is a really bad thing if you're my partner because that means that I won't have a extension until I'm actually in the middle of my speech, right? And that makes me incompatible with partners that aren't able to both prep like whatever their case is and then also like whatever whatever their responses are and then also like 
listen to my case, which is which they're not going to know. Like, they're going to be as oblivious as the judge, right? And Barry has to put up with that in, like, whatever, like, the numerous, like, BP tournaments we went to this year. And he puts up with it really well because he's able to adapt to whatever I say um, in whatever manner I say it. So I think I have to commend him on that. And also, like, this guy is, like, so, like, cool. You know what I mean? In debate. In debate. In debate. To be clear. Uh, because, like, outside of debate, like, he had seven hours on his Brawl Stars <laughs> time. <laughs> He's like, he was ranked number one in Canada at some point. Like, <laughs> this because he's, like, the most nonchalant. Like, he's sort of, like, walking around, you know, like, standing there. And, like, and then... He, and then he goes, yo, Tanush, put some, like, hard rap on. <laughs> and then he just starts, like, bopping his head. Like, <laughs> like I, I just think this guy, like, conveys that that's how he also acts in debate, basically. Like, he's, like, he puts his hard rap on, you know? And just absolutely flames anybody who's there in the round. Like, he's, he's just cracked. So, that was, that was a super fun segment. That was a really fun segment, guys. I thought that was amazing. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next overarching theme which is on improvement so first thing i wanted to ask y'all you can just chime in when you want when do you feel like guys like first thing hey i could actually be really good at this debate thing very summer what not to be humble or anything but at my first tournament first tournament Sir winston churchill 2019 junior tournament First place speaker, first team. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so, you know. Not to be humble. <laughs> Wait, did you say did you say your first tournament? Yeah. Wow. No, it was capital. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so like, you said grade nine, right? Live exposed. Grade nine, right? Huh? You just said it was in grade nine. Grade 19. You literally just said it was 2019. Wait, am I tripping? Yeah, oh, it's just a nine. That was three years ago. Yeah. All right. Alright, so, so this is Barry Kid, right? He has a partner, and he's a legend. His name is Arham Rafiq. He, <laughs> so he goes to a debate tournament, and I'm pretty sure like he got the first place or whatever, but that was later. The first tournament, when I realized like I would really enjoy debating, um, I think Barry was also at that tournament, and then we gathered like all the boys for the award ceremony, and then... I got first place and first team. <laughs> so I'm just saying that there's a potential that Barry, I don't have a tab, but perhaps Barry has been curb stomped by me. At least before, like, you know. I like how instead of saying I could be really good at this, he said, I would like this debate thing because he gets to curb stomp Barry. <laughs> <laughs> True rivalry between partners. I guess my story is kind of similar to theirs, except I didn't first speak nor first team. Um, but I was really lucky because my first tournament went to Oscar Club Cup um, 2019. But I was really lucky because a lot of the really, really good debaters and a lot of them like went to this other tournament, which apparently was happening at the same time. And then the junior category, I like spoke sixth, which wasn't amazing, but like I, it made me pretty happy about myself. But I was just generally really lucky and it kind of like made me want to continue debating like that feeling that I have hope to do good, you know? Like for me, like, I don't know, it's like different, like, one part is, like, when I wanted to stick to debate. One part is when I was, like, damn, maybe this is something I should, like, like, there's, like, a reward that I'm reaping. Like, yeah, like, I was doing debate, um, like, the, the time that I decided that I really want to do this as, like, an activity and, like, just grind it out, like, outside of classes and just, like, focus on it myself and everything was I started doing it. I was a really bad public speaker. I was, like, 
well known. Like I'm always an extrovert. Like I, I hope everybody can say that. Like I love talking to people. I love talking to people. I can talk. I can like I love. I love that. You know, like I love making conversation with people and getting to know people. So I've always been a person that was extroverted. But when it came to even like structured public speeches, I was really really scared of it. And so I just wanted to improve it because I was like a big big math kid when I was younger. Um, but that subject um, never made me really happy or feel fulfilled. So I was like, let me try this out. And then when I realized I could be good at it is when I went to my first tournament as well. Um, like my first tournament in Canada, to be clear, which was McGill 2020. And I broke open to quarterfinals and I think I spoke 10th. Um, and that was, like my, that was like my first time debating like BP um, in Canada, like first time debating in general in Canada competitively. It was just like a good feeling. And I was like, oh, maybe I can try this thing out. And I had, like, blind confidence at the time because, like, I didn't know anybody. Like, I didn't know how was how when I hit her and she was my oh oh. even though I remember that round very clearly. Like, I didn't know, like, the person that got ninth was Alyssa and, like, the person that got, like, seventh was Rally. Like, you know, I didn't know any of them. And so it was, like, this foreign experience that was, like, one tournament, blind confidence. Second tournament, I made nationals with, like, my math team, like, my math classmate. Because my school doesn't actually have a debate team. So, you know, I was like, damn, maybe I should try this out. So unlike uh, these prodigies here, I did not perform so well at my first tournament. <clears throat> the first time I thought I maybe genuinely I am good at debate, or this is something I am good at, was probably 2019 um, U15 BP Nats in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, and I think the reason was, uh, besides doing well at that tournament, which I think results are probably pretty indicative of success, especially when you're young and when you want to believe that you are good, is I just got a lot of um, people telling me that they were scared of me, that they didn't want to hit me in rounds, that I was intimidating. And it sort of just made me feel like, wow, people genuinely view me as a threat, which was really, really funny to me at the time, because I thought I was the most non-threatening person um, I had ever met. But it made me realize that if other people thought I was good, it probably is not fair that I believe that I am not good because people probably do have some merit in believing that. Yo, can I ask a question? Like, I'm actually curious now. Sure. Like, when did everyone think, like, there's a difference of being, being like, oh, maybe I can keep doing this. And like, as Maria said, others also tell, like, others be like... like others fear me. Where you, not, yeah, fear you, like, where do you start to feel like you've actually, like, made that mark in terms of getting to that level? Like, when was the first time you ever felt that? I think it was when like a junior debater told one of like my brother or something that they thought I was a really good debater. Like it never really occurred to me that I was a good debater, um, even though I was getting like pretty good results. But it never consciously occurred to me because I would constantly be comparing myself to like the older debaters, like people like Gabby Lynn, Matthew Anzer and Max Rosen, all of those really, really great debaters. Um, so I never actually thought I was that good. But then when other juniors started saying that they thought I was good, it was just like, I don't know, it was just really weird of an experience, I guess. The junior affirmation definitely means a lot. I want to hear this from Riley. When did I start thinking I was good? Like when, did, like, when did other people start saying that? Oh, when did other people? Like, as in, like, when, when, when was the first time you felt validated from, like, other people? I don't know, to be honest. I can't recall a particular experience. I think just... I can't remember any debate experiences, like... Beyond maybe the last year. <laughs> <laughs> like for me, dude, like it was at Round Robin, like your Round Robin, Joseph, last month. I only started to know people like this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. That is like 
consistently performed in like the very highest like speaks and stuff came in July of last year. And even they were like retiring out. It was like their last summer. Whereas like and then like my first partner that still like did debate and was like good at it came in like um literally McGill twenty twenty one. So I'm mean, not to discredit any of my partners before that obviously. They were like amazing people, but like these are like people like like the person I'm talking about is like, you know, someone that I consider is one of the best in Canada, right? So like getting to that level, like and, and even that it still felt very like outsidery in a sec in a sense. Not because anyone makes you feel like that because everyone over here like this famous person, but more so just like because you don't have the same experience as because you've not been doing it for as long, etc. But then the first time was at like at your round robin. There were so many people there that I was seeing for the first time in person, and like all of them knew me, including like Gabby, who came up to me, which was like the craziest feeling ever because like I idolized her. Like no, maybe not the like same level that like maybe how you have the connection. Like, <laughs> like sorry, not that. <laughs> But, but, but like, you know, like, it, it was just such a cool feeling because Gabby and I had actually done Model UN together, but I had no idea that she remembered me. And, like, that was just cool. It, it was just so cool. And then I was like, damn, maybe I am clouded. Like, you know. Of course, man. Everyone remembers you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, okay, we can go back. Oh, oh Barry? Raleigh asked to go to tournament with me. Oh. Raleigh's never asked. Oh, he asked for one. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I asked him like eight times though. <laughs> oh, oh, I used to literally everyone in this room, I think except for Summit, has been cold DM'd by me. And I've been left on red. No, you haven't. <laughs> not how, not how, not how. Because you Franks if you bring some thing. But Maria has, Rally has, and I have proof of that. And the first time I asked Barry, he couldn't go to the tournament with me. I remember for me, that literally didn't happen until the very last bp tournament i went to which was big master i don't know if any of you guys went i think none of you guys did um but i remember just like after speaking the finals this like tiny tiny eighth grader who was in like grade 11 now oh my god this tiny eighth grader came up to me and told me that like my speech is really good because i was giving a pm on um this house believes that free will does not exist and i gave like a pretty fire speech and that that, that one felt really good and ended up winning the tournament which is really fun Now that we know when people thought they like could really make a big in debate, have you guys ever felt like you hit a plateau? And if you did, how do you work past that? Uh, before tryouts last year, I was just like not improving at all, and I hadn't improved for a year. And then it was at tryouts that I think I had the greatest improvement, which didn't help because it was already at at tryouts, so I like improved after it. But uh, after that, I think, like, personally, my philosophy for getting through burnout, which is probably not the best, is just to go to more tournaments. Go to more <laughs> tournaments to break your plateau and burnout. <laughs> Wait, do you mean and burnout then, or a plateau? Uh, but of both, I guess. Just, like, I don't know. For me, it's always kind of just been getting a little bit more experience and stuff. And then also, uh, in particular, like, watching YouTube videos of really good rounds. I think it's like useful for helping you pick up on small details uh, that uh, you didn't realize you had issues with before. Um, actually, the last time I hit a big plateau was after I made the team last year. I was struggling a lot. So one thing that they oftentimes do on the team is the coaches will tell you, look, we think you're really good in a specific speaker position, and we want you to practice that. So for about three or four months straight, I was doing seconds. Every single week, I was doing a second. 
And I'll tell you honestly, I hated doing seconds. Oh. I, and every single week, I would get the same feedback. You didn't spend enough time on your third argument, your prioritization's out of order, you're spending too much time on reputation, and not enough time on rebuilding. And I was actually pretty bitter at the time. I was like, if I'm doing so poorly on second speeches, week after week, why can't you just put me on any other speech? But they said, we really want to see you improve on seconds. And so I was sort of stuck here. I went to Europens, which is the, the big like tournament that is used to decide who is going to be on the five, the alt and the dare for Team Canada. And I just, I performed quite badly. I spoke last out of all the 12 members on TC by a pretty large margin. And that's saying something because uh, Team Canada was like all in the top 10 speakers or the majority of them were. And I think at the time I was pretty frustrated. I also didn't know how to get better, but the main advice that I will give, and this is important for, I think, literally everyone is most of you probably have coaches, or if you don't have coaches, you probably have trusted debate mentors or friends. Use the resources you have. Your coaches are there to help you. I think I waited too long to actually just reach out to Brent and Arslan and say, I cannot get over this issue. I don't know what is going wrong, but every single time I give the speech, I feel like I'm doing it poorly. So they gave me a lot of advice as to how to improve. They told me what specifically I should be looking out for. They asked other debaters, like older debaters, to give me advice as well. Your coaches want to see you improve. And they don't always know that you are struggling with issues unless you explicitly tell, tell them because they have a lot on their plate as well. So the big thing I would say is if you reach out to your coach, if you explain specifically what the issues that you have are, and if you also talk to your friends or the other people in the debate circuit that you may be close to, they can really help you because oftentimes it's hard to be fairly critical of yourself when you're only uh, judging or analyzing your speeches after you give them. It's really good to have other people to ask, look, am I improving on this specific thing that I really want to get better at? Or what is the way that you improved on a specific part of speech that you may be struggling with? So that is the main reason I think that I got over that. Uh, problem and now I actually do enjoy giving seconds although I still do get frustrated when I have to give a lot of them. Yeah I also think it's quite important to know whether or not you're actually plateauing or not because back then I had this wrong conception of what plateauing meant and it's pretty much like if I speak in a certain like like area within the tabs and that means and I don't change or improve that that would mean that I'm plateauing but often that often like just isn't a very holistic um, way to measure not you're actually improving at specific skill sets just because sometimes when you're working on specific skills and not others like maybe doing more or, or being less reliant on like notes you often will have to have less clarity and you have to sacrifice these other things and your tabs or your speaks might be not might not <laughs> might not be as like holistic um, in a way of actually like showing which skills you're improving or not um, so like in, it feels like you're not improving but like in the long term, once you get better at that specific skill, it is a general improvement um, as well. So it's it, be really careful as to what you define as plateauing and like what metric you use to um, determine whether or not you are in a plateau. Yeah, thanks for that. Those are really, really thoughtful answers. Um, I think for me, uh, the thing on plateauing, I think I plateaued, or at least I had a perception that I plateaued, especially in high school for a really, really long time from about the middle of grade 11 up until probably the beginning of grade 12, I felt like 
I was like just out of the reach of breaking of every tournament, just like one point off, some speaks off. I would take an unlucky fourth and then just lose. Um, and then just like not be in contention anymore. And then I think over that summer, at least what ended up helping me was just realizing that my mechanisms and my cases were both pretty weak compared to what the best debaters would be able to come up with. So drilling those, seeing more motions, um, practicing giving mechanisms over and over, practicing giving impacting over, and doing it with like a very trusted uh, and uh, a very trusted partner to give feedback and for you to give for you to give them feedback too as well. Being able to drill that over and over, I think, is really helpful for actually picking apart and really working on the things that you need to improve on. And I, and I personally believe in that philosophy because, like in basketball. Maybe Rally would disagree, but like you don't just play more games to get better at basketball. Like you drill most of the time. You drill right hand shooting, um, three pointers. You drill all those things. Then after you get to uh, put it all together, then it all comes together, and you can see the the improvement. So the next thing I wanted to ask you guys is probably the question that, given my demographic, which I have a pretty good idea of who my demographic is, the question that they most want me to ask, which is, how did you get onto the team? And what do you think the best things you did were to get yourself onto that team? Honestly, you have to find what works best for you. Everybody has different ways that they improve at debate. Um, some people that got on the team and are on the team, uh, I know would literally record a PM speech every single day for months leading up to trials. Other people took a break before trials, literally like two weeks or three weeks of straight not debating not doing any drill because they knew that their mental state during trials was more important than anything else. Some people find it really useful to be constantly reading the news or just uh, like pieces of literature in general. Some people just don't really read, uh, which is probably not something you should be doing in debate. But obviously, the ways that people improve a debate uh, differ uh, like quite greatly between different people. So for example, I personally don't watch a lot of debate rounds, which I know is something that a lot of people do uh, to find rounds online and then go through them, uh, do reputation, flow those rounds. So it really depends on what you find most uh, helpful for your improvement and what really sticks to you. And you really do need to spend time to figure out what that is. That is the advice I'll give. Like, I'll say three things here. I think number one, there's like, like the macro aspect of it like what are you doing like as as a debater like outside of just like building up to the tryout number two is like the actual tryout aspect and number three is expectations so i think i'll talk about expectations first because i think it's the most the harsh reality is it's the most applicable thing to the most amount of people which is that as everyone told their stories there's a common trend of your parents often are the types of people that push you into this activity and that's the harsh truth of debate now more than ever, where a lot of people are being pushed, not by themselves, but by other like other people to do good in debate. And the point is, parents do not, like, hopefully, like, if you're, okay, if you're a parent listening to this, this is also some feedback to you, I guess. But parents are not the types of people to understand the complexities of the debate circuit, right? They will see some WeChat post um, that will say, like, Randy Chang made made Team Canada. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not using Randy as an... Like, this is of no fault to Randy, obviously. Um, <laughs> this, is just, this is just the way those circles work. 
they have no understanding of how debate works, whether their child even wants to do it, whether their child is good at it or bad at it. Set those expectations for their children, children who haven't had the exploration other aspects of life um, or, or like other things that they might have interest in and then make them want to get onto Team Canada. And I think that creates really, really toxic. Like it's, it's just so like we, I think most of us have had a discussion about this on some level. Like these are discussions we're having outside of a podcast, which is like the toxicity of debate as an activity, both on an internal and like as a co-curricular level is extremely potent more than ever. And that is caused by expectations. So maybe it is, of course, we're going to talk about like our journey to Team Canada, but it is really, really important to note. It is totally fine not to make the team. Some of the best debaters I know, some of the closest friends that I'll ever consider are not on the team. And yet I respect them as debaters. Their accomplishments are equal to most of the, like everyone over here. So you can do the most and get the most of the activity without being on the team. So just know your expectations and please do not succumb to things that can like harm your mental health. It's never worth it, never a good thing. So I think then like talking about, so that's just, I, I, like this is a quibble that I have with that question, right? Um, and I, I, like, I think it's important to include. Um, in terms of like the short-term and long-term aspect, I think the long-term aspect is just like, you gotta maximize, you, you basically gotta have like a sales pitch, right? As like, like you gotta be good at something and you gotta be good at it a lot. I think there's some debaters that are genuine all-round debaters to the fullest degree. That in and of itself is a skill. Chances are, like everyone in this room though, you're a debater that has something that they see in you, right? So like Max Williams, for example, was not a strong like rhetoric user. Like he was not accustomed to debate, I believe, to a significant degree. He was just someone that was far, far, far more intellectually gifted than almost everyone else um, there. He was able to think through things a lot better. So even if he wasn't able to articulate those thoughts amazingly, like he was still chosen on for being able to do that. Like I, like, you know, everyone over here has their strengths. If you have your strengths and you recognize them, like improve on them and like get them to the fullest degree. Obviously make sure you're still focused on everything and then you'll just improve as a debater overall. Um, and I think the second aspect, like leading up to it personally, like preparation, as Maria said, like do what works best for you. Like personally what worked best for me was staying in practice. I went to a tournament every week for like three months until leading up to tryouts, but then also just having like my expectations straight going into tryouts, applying for alternate tryouts, national tryouts, all of it. I also think on top of that as well, um, I think a lot of people put like too much emphasis on trying to get good at debate because generally speaking, as long as you hit that like minimum threshold to be even considered to be one part of the national team, it doesn't really matter how marginally better you are than everyone else like like that you're competing with. Just because firstly, it's quite difficult for the judges or the coaches to actually see the marginal differences between each of the different debaters. It's quite hard to compare it, um, but also just because you're only given a certain number of rounds to like show your skills. So it's unlikely that they'll be able to spot the marginal like differences between skill sets um, between those debaters because there's a very limited opportunity to do so. I think also just generally speaking, um, like the mentality part of it actually was the most important for me personally speaking, um, just because I think realizing that getting onto the team wasn't the most important thing for my debate journey or even my journey in like my future life or whatnot really gave me the confidence to do well and perform 
like how I usually would in other debate tournaments because like in the first day I was actually super super stressed about like the tryouts and I would be like during prep I wouldn't be contributing as much because um, I couldn't think up material because I was so stressed that like the material that I gave wasn't good enough and then in that round um, there was this girl that was struggling a lot as well and I like we were supporting her throughout and after she sent me like this really really heartfelt message about how we influenced her and it really helped made me realize that debate really just isn't about achieving results. It's also about like the things and the meaningful experiences you can have throughout that process that isn't like necessarily tied to how well you do and whether or not you make it to Team Canada. And it was just a very wholesome type of moment that gave me the realization that I was way too focused on getting onto Team Canada and I forgot to enjoy like the many other aspects of it that made me really enjoy the activity itself. Yeah. Oh, uh, I have one more short thing to say. Uh, I guess, like, more on the, like, concrete improvement side, I think one thing that's really important is to diversify your speaking roles. Mm -hmm. I know lots of people who are, like, good at one or two speaker roles, but then they can't really do the other ones. Really what they look for, I think in my perception of what they look for in tryouts is that they want people who can not just, I don't know, like, I guess if you're really, really good at one role, that's good. But you should also be able to be flexible because you never know what the team needs at any point in time, and based on, you know, who else is on that team, you might need to switch. So they're looking for people who are flexible and can do lots of stuff, and uh, making sure that you show that flexibility is probably pretty important. Mm. Crowds are going to be, like, different than what you think they're going to be. Like, trust me, like, there's going to be a lot of debater, debaters that are going to be a lot stronger than you expected, a lot of debaters that might be slightly weaker than you expected, especially because they have provincial quotas, so a lot of debaters that often literally just fill in from a school show up. <laughs> Um, and that's obviously, like, you know, like, it, again, no fault of their own. It's the way the system is built. Um, but if that's the case, then you might have to, like, if you make it a tryout, you're going to have to, like, adapt a lot of different things. You're going to get lucky when you're with your friends. You're going to get unlucky when you're with people that you've never worked with. And, yes, a tryout's going to make you do all three positions in both tryouts. Um, and they make you do all three positions multiple times. So make sure you're good at all three positions. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. And I also think something else as well is that you should practice being partners with other people, like during practice rounds, during like classes or even at tournaments, try partnering with other people just so that you know how to be flexible based on the type of person that you're partnering with. Because for all of the tryout rounds, you're going to be partnering with different people with different skill sets as well as different paradigms as to how they approach certain emotions. So it really helps to have that baseline um, like skill of knowing how to approach those circumstances where it's unfamiliar or your partner isn't someone that you regularly partner with. So that's probably going to be quite helpful, um, generally speaking, for tryouts. A lot of wise words and also a lot of good improvement tips too. So yeah, don't take it too seriously. That's kind of the message I wanted to get across by asking this question to y'all because people, a lot of people, especially people who listen to this podcast, might be a little bit too focused on TC. That's not the most important thing. You can still have a great debate career without being on the team. It is just one part and does not define you at all. All right, cool. Uh, next thing I wanted to move on to is a little bit different, but I, I, I'm, pr I'm not sure how many of y'all went to, or I have a general idea. Uh, some of you went to coaching institutions more than others. What is your opinion on coaching, coaching in institutions, whether or not they're good, bad, and how they've kind of affected the circuit in the last five years? I think Riley should definitely talk about I think it's general like coaching institutions, right? Like, you don't even have to say one. Yeah, yeah, in general, in general. What do I have to say? Like, I don't know. I think they're they're not bad. Like, 
I think there are like I'm giving my phrase to a platic answer. Like there are <laughs> benefits and kind of harms to coaching institutions, I would say. So like on the benefits side, there's probably like something unique about being able to access like high quality and very qualified coaches who can kind of very quickly tell you what you need to improve on. When otherwise you might not be able to figure out for yourself. But then at the same time, they cost a lot of money. So, uh, yeah. you know, like it really depends, I guess, like on how much improvement you can do on your own and, you know, how, how much more guided improvement you want, I would say. Like it's, there's no like end all be all solution for everyone. Like I'll say this, like, I think, <clears throat> like, I'm very anti coaching institutions. And that's not, I think what coaching institutions do is they just like serve the purpose that, they, like, people want to improve. They don't know how to improve. They turn to institutions. But what they've done now more than ever is just like institute almost like a like tax to get into debate, right? Where it's like you have to join some level of institution and some level of coaching to do good. Like lesser and lesser you end up with people that like don't do coaching and do good. So I do think that coaching institutions help out. <clears throat> so like they've helped me out because of like through friends or whatever, etc. And I think obviously they're going to be good for the beginning. But I think you can always be just fine if you can't get coaching institutions, if there's financial situations that mean you can't get coaching institutions. Coaching institutions were too expensive for me towards the end of it. I couldn't do it, right? Like, so I have to learn through other means. So yeah, like, don't put yourself down just because all of your friends go to like five institutions and you go to none, because you can still be just as good as stuff without them. I think after as well, when you get more experience in debating, coaching institutions might not be as effective as they once were, um, just because you already learned a lot of the feedback that the judges have given you or past coaches have given you as well. And I think at that point, it's really just about the practice part like, of it that's quite important. Um, it forces you to practice with different people um, and to regularly have the structure of debate where you have somewhat stakes in going into that debate round. And I think that that still can be replaced in other mechanisms as well. If you don't care that much about getting feedback, that's quite qualified. Like you can still have practice rounds with your friends if you can't access like coaching institutions. So it's not huge, like it's not a necessary step in order for you to get good. Yeah. Remember, if you do want coaching, feel free to hit one of us up. We're all trying to make our ends meet over here. That is, that is the best thing about coaching institutions, paying TC members, of course, to use their face and also give kids. But yeah, in, in all seriousness, um, there is a whole host of things that like, the thing is, if, especially if you're a new debater, you really just need someone that is slightly better than you to tell you what you can improve at and then work on those things. It doesn't have to be one of, one of you guys. It doesn't have to be someone who regularly breaks. Just like someone who knows the rules of debate to teach you the rules of debate. Someone who knows how to explain arguments to walk you through how to explain arguments. And looking through your communities. I think that um, people far underuse. I know that Liz talked about this a little bit last week, but the uh, 6 a.m. gang Discord server is one of the ones I've heard about. Uh, another one I know about is uh, Grindsville, where you just like practice, drill, work on improving different aspects and getting better as a result. And also, it's really fun to do that, to have like a practice group and to work through rounds, prep motions together, and go to tournaments with other people in those groups. Like, oh, I will say like, it's just like a, another thing, like if you go to a, like institution, at least go to one where you know like the coaches are like really good, like well-known, Circuit, etc. Like, ask your friends. 
Is like I'm not gonna lie, there's so many scam institutions. Like I work for one of them. Like, <laughs> are are you a scam coach, Tanush? No, 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 no. But like the like the way that those institutions work is they advertise. They try to they try to scam me as like a coach. Like, like I don't really care to talk about this because whatever. You know, like um, like they tell me every time you're teaching the most advanced class, blah blah blah. blah. But these are literally like children. Like this is their most advanced class, and like the guy lies. He's like, these are like, like they've broken, blah blah blah. No, they haven't. <laughs> they aren't able to fill time because you keep giving them really bad advice over and over and over again. So, a lot of these institutions are scummy, are scammy, are trying to just make money off of like your parents. So, like, if you don't feel any experience from a tournament to tournament basis. That may not just be your fault. That literally might be your coach's fault. I know some of you guys have been around for longer than others, but how do you feel like the debating circuit has kind of changed? Because I've noticed a really long change, at least in or a really large change in at least the course of my career. I mean, tournaments are more accessible. That's probably a good thing. Uh, COVID happened. Tournaments are online, where people can go to them, where people have joined debate as a result of that. I think in general that's a pretty positive change. I also think uh, with COVID came sort of the advent of uh, like continuous groups of similar like juniors or even just general debaters to sort of coalesce and they try to practice on their own. So I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And what I've noticed is since the when I got started debating, it was like kind of the closer to the start of when institutions started being like really really popular and people started going to institutions a lot more i'm i'm pretty sure the one the rich white schools have fallen pretty hard um on like just having more resources which is probably a good thing and then two i think the average level of like a 75 76 level speech has gone up a lot because people generally know the right arguments you're supposed to run. People generally know the structure of how you're supposed to argue. Um, those are things that these institutions emphasize a lot, and people pick them up reasonably well. Um, so, especially at like, especially at like some of these larger tournaments, you can get blindsided by just like a team who, and if like if you give a slightly bad case and they just give the correct case and refute you guys, you might just lose. Um, which which is a scary thought nowadays. Which probably didn't happen nearly as much maybe 10 years ago or so. Yeah, like, I'll say, like, negative thing that I think has happened, I mentioned this before, is, like, oh, the, the circuit's toxic, eh? Like, I do not want to, like, you know, like, the, actually, you know what? Full shade to the juniors who listen to this. I do not care. Like, <laughs> you guys are toxic. And I'm sorry that I'm saying that, but it's true. And I don't say that it's your fault. I, I fully think it is, like, the fault of institutions and the fault of, like, massive massive amounts of like parents just sending their kids with such high expectations there is no need to be toxic it is an extracurricular activity like literally like no one is going to know that you did this in 10 years right except for like the people that also did this with you which is like 0.0001% of the population right so stop taking it so seriously stop treating it as something where you can like little people or have like toxic levels of competition have fun make connections that is where debate becomes fun that is where debate becomes also self-improvement like don't forget about self-improvement but 
do it in a way that isn't toxic. Do it in a way that people don't hate you for the things that you might say in a debate tournament or the way that you act on like, you know, like debate chats, for example. Like, again, full shade to you guys, to you juniors. Because I legitimately do think this is a thing that has gone up massively post this boom of institutions and younger and younger kids getting into debate. Maturity develops over time, maybe, I guess. For sure. We have this, this is something, this is like a phase. But it's not a good phase. I really think it eats up on everyone's mental health. I really think it's absolutely bad. Like, it's, it's, it's just not a good thing overall. Well, on the same topic, keep debates within debates. I get so frustrated when people like hold grudges against teams that they've lost rounds to unfairly in their opinion, or literally trash talk judges that they believe gave them uh, like a, a poor ranking or an unjustified decision. You can get mad about that. You can get mad about losing. It's a competitive activity. But if you are like personally trying to like belittle and mock other people because you lost to them at a debate tournament, I just don't. I just don't understand that. It's so easy to get to make friends outside of debate, to understand how cool people are, even if you find them aggressive or annoying in debates, which is something that happens. There's a lot of debaters who I find very hard to debate because I feel like it's just really hard to win. Yeah, like I hate them. everyone in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, they're all wonderful, wonderful people, and I get to know them even though I find it very frustrating to debate against them. So just like take everything a step back and understand that the way that people participate in debate as a competitive venture is obviously not the way that people act in real life. And also just be nice to your judges. Like they're also trying hard. They also make wrong decisions sometimes, but they're also human. And that is also an aspect of debate that I'm sure that you can understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just being toxic about debate, and what I mean by toxic is like bullying people or even just sending threats to like in the tournament GA that you're going to burn down the tournament school because they're running late on time. Or even just being really, really rude to the CA and Oricom because they are trying to sort out issues with the tab. Or even just being rude to like other debaters in your team or even making fun of them and mocking them like publicly when they lose the round. That just goes way over the line. And I think it, it really needs to be clear that you guys shouldn't be doing that. And I'm not saying like you guys just generally speaking for like debaters, but like more so like there's specific people that do these nasty things. And I think it's just very terrifying to hear about yeah. them because my perception of debate, I, I really like the activity because of the connections that I've developed through it. And it's really sad to me how like toxic it has become and how many people can't find communities because they feel like they'll be like targeted for like speaking well or like yeah. doing well at a tournament. It's just really sad and like really, like revolting in many ways as well and some of the stories that i've heard about it yeah. yeah like some of the stories that you hear like my god like, god, guys, like sorry like these guys need like much like get like grow up basically there's some juniors that are like, so nice so nice amazing like so cute and wholesome but there's like a subsect of groups that are just so incredibly toxic it makes you want to quit the activity like it's so sad but yeah, don't don't be that person. Don't oh, and, and to be clear, like we're not uh, we're not trying to just be me for the sake of being me. When I was a junior, I was also like yeah. quite annoying. I was probably like unfairly mean to judges. I probably 
uh, like, you know, thought that some debaters were just mean people, even though I just hit them in rounds and that was their style of debating. It's not something that marks you as just like a, a bad person. It's just something to be wary of uh, so that when you are debating, you can also just have like a more fun time in the circuit as well. So it's not an indictment of anyone. It's a thing to reflect on for sure. Okay, so how much debating do you guys plan on doing next year, apart from TC, obviously, BP, and, like, world schools-wise? Well, like, long story, there's, like, so many TC commitments, so I doubt I'll be doing too much. Uh, I don't think yeah. I'll be doing too much either. Like, I'll probably go to, like, some Ausdu tournaments for, like, Oxford and, like, Cambridge and stuff. Um, but I feel like just, like, there's a lot of stress with, like, school as well, like, university applications. That makes it quite hard to commit outside of TC. Yeah, After sure. January 1st, when my applications are in, I will tell you, I'll be a much freer woman. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Barry and I have to go to a retirement tournament oh, to retire Harold and Kumar, because we dropped out of Kusit Nationals. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have one more tournament left in the bank. And what, plan- what tournaments are you planning on attending? McGill? We want to go to McGill. Yes, please come to McGill. Please come to McGill. All of you, please come to McGill. Yeah. Um, Heart House? Heart House, for sure. That's the one that all, like, the seniors go to. Like, yep. oh, yeah, very we, we were never at Heart House, guys. Everyone, <laughs> everyone unretires for Heart House now last year. Search for Heart House tabs 2021, Barry and I's names are just redacted. <laughs> Is that bad? Yeah, because we were, we, did, we spoke like 88th or something. Like, it's not bad. That is, yeah, like it was, yeah. You guys are fine, you guys are fine. And uh, when's the last time you guys actually went to an in-person tournament? I know some of you went to Round Robin, but what about everyone else? Harvard, WSDC 2020. Wow, that was, wow. It felt like just yesterday, no? Yeah. Barry and someone went to US Naps. That was in June. Yeah, that's actually nice. They're like, they're like, like, they're almost asleep, so. They're almost asleep, very nice. All right, we'll try to wrap this up soon. And then, what are you guys looking for forward most to uh, in in person debating? Definitely making more friends. I feel like a large thing that I missed out on was like making friends outside of my normal, like, social circle of like the older debaters that I grew up with. I really, really want to like be introduced to as well as like have like more junior friends, um, just because I feel so out of the circuit and I don't want to feel really old, you know. Like I want to be like have more friends with the wholesome juniors. Yeah. I can tell y'all a bit about the reality that you're missing. Basically, going to all the tournaments. In, so in grade twelve, I went to a lot of tournaments. I went to like. 12, 15 tournaments, which is like not even that much for online like time, but like in person, 15 was a lot. And being able to see all your friends every week, many, 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 many weeks in a row, and like making new friends, hitting other people in rounds, talking to everyone, getting to know everyone, and like remembering all the people that you actually see along the way, that's one of the best things about debate. Probably the thing that makes me keep coming back to it for sure. So I'll wrap this up with uh, one last question. For those of you who are in grade 12, this is the last year you'll do nearly as much debating as you do now. The culture is really different and more laid back in uni, and some of you might want to retire anyways. Looking back, when you graduate, what do you think you'll miss most about debate? I'll miss my partner Elizabeth so much. 
Like, I was literally thinking about this the other day, and I was, like, crying so hard over this. Like, there's going to be a day where, like, we have our last debate prep together and last debate motion together, and then we're going to graduate and go to different universities. Like, that's just so sad to me. If people are interested in doing a round robin next year, I'd be happy to host it again in Toronto. Any other <laughs> any other twelves? Any other twelves in the chat? Still go, yeah. Yeah, you'll be able to go, huh? Of course. Riley, what about you? Me? He won't miss any of us. I don't know. Uh, I don't know is his first answer. Oh God. Uh, no, I think there are lots of things to miss about today. I think. Oh, okay. You want to say any of them? Sure. I think that. Uh, I don't know. I think the most meaningful one is just like meeting new people and being able to hang out and stuff in ways that you wouldn't be able to during school. And like traveling and doing all that fun stuff with uh, other people. That's why I think it's meaningful that day. Yeah, like it's been cool. Like, I don't know, like in person, the in person debate is just so fun. Like, like the activity itself, you know. Socializing aspect, obviously, big thing, probably the biggest thing for me by far. Um, but like, you know, just the act of debate is so much more different in person. Like, you can make jokes, you can be like funny, and like, you can, um, you know, interact with the other team after the debate, and then like, you're like buddy buddies, and then the call comes out, and then you hate each other. Like, there's so <laughs> many things you can do that you can't do sitting like at 4 a.m. like anxious and sweaty and tired, like waiting for break announcements. Whereas when you're in person, it's like in a hall. Yes, it's sad if you don't break, but if you do break, it's, like, fun. I don't know. Just, like, this activity itself becomes way more fun in person. Um, at the same time, like, I think accessibility decreases a lot. I was only able to do debate and get good at debate because it was online. If it was in person, I wouldn't have been able to get better. So um, maybe that might be an issue for future debaters. But I think some schools are turning towards hybrid debate in general because it allows for online accessibility, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think having a hybrid circuit like this is probably really good for accessibility, getting more people in, and then they can transition into the in-person tournaments too after. Cool, alrighty. If no one else has anything to add, I'll wrap it up with this. There's a lot to miss out of grade 12. My grade 12 was cut a little bit short because of COVID, and probably a lot of people in my year too. You guys will get to have the first non-COVID year of debate. You'll be going to Worlds in person together. I hope you guys have a lot of fun with that because that will probably be the last thing you guys all two together, all in your prev. And I hope you guys have the best time. Any final shout outs, finishing words from you guys? Um, Thank out. you, Joseph, so much. Um, a podcast like this is really helpful. I know I would have appreciated it if someone was more honest and transparent about everything that goes on in the debate circuits. This is a really great thing that you're doing. And everyone that's listening, you should thank Joseph for putting together this podcast and for wrangling uh, together all of us uh, um, deranged people. So uh, thank you so much, Joseph. Thank you for having us on. Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate that. Shout out the BC kids, Teresa Tang, and thank you speeches and finals. That's all for me. Um, shout out to... Wait, what's his name? You forgot the name of the person you're going to shout out? <laughs> um shout out to okay so at tryouts there was this guy named Shreyas so shout out to Shreyas Gupta 
<laughs> just, just no context. Shout out to Shreyas Gupta. All right, shout out to Shreyas Gupta. Keep that part in. Keep that part in. <laughs> Smartest guy I've ever met. Um, he's a really wholesome individual. I don't know, just talking with him was very cool. Oh my gosh, yeah. And shout out to like all of the debate coaches, all of the friends. <laughs> do you want me to do that again? That yeah. would be ideal. <laughs> so shout out to all the debate coaches, all of the friends, all of the debate idols I had, specifically Gabby Lynn, um, <laughs> for really like motivating me to get to this point as well See as supporting me in that process. And just like teaching me really valuable skills that I otherwise would never have like received. So thank you to all of those people. And thank you to the listeners. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful day or night, wherever you are. And uh, we hope that you're happy in whatever debate adventures you choose to, to, uh, to go on. Alrighty, you heard it from Maria. Enjoy your day or your evening. This is the BTD Podcast signing out. Hope you enjoyed.